0: want to invite up our speaker today, David Chu. Um, uh, David's been uh, a son and a leader of this house for a long time. Currently, he's on staff um, making sure that our community uh, is developed well, that people are welcomed in, uh, know what it's like to become a member, um, get plugged into home groups and um, serving opportunities here at the ARC, um, and is generally just a um, a man full of wisdom that we get to hear from today so uh thanks david yeah thank you yeah thanks um i'm gonna grab a podium if that's okay oh joe read my mind thank you no that's perfect thank you (laughs) thank you welcome everybody super excited to be here uh just, uh, as you guys could tell, uh, that's my wife and my daughter Joni. Uh, that's walking down the aisle. Uh, we, there's also another little person that's hidden up in there. So that's actually that was actually three people, and we're super excited to to meet him in this uh, next next week. Actually, our delivery our due date is on uh, the 23rd on uh, Monday, so about seven days from now. We were joking like, what if she goes into labor here? And I was like, "Oh, you know what? Bailey's right behind her. You know, so we got that covered." But then they're doing children's ministry today. So, uh, but anyways, um, I'm going to go ahead and just uh, have a lot of content for us to share today. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and just start us in prayer real quick. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We make space for you here. We welcome you here. We thank you that this is uh, this is your temple, Lord Jesus, and uh, this is your house. And God, I thank you, Lord God, that you dwell here, Lord Jesus, because the people are here, Lord God. And so, God, I thank you, Lord, we do uh, make space for your presence. We thank you you already are here, Lord Jesus. We're just acknowledging that you're here. God, we, uh, we thank you, Lord God, for the word today. And we thank you that it's meant to encourage, edify, strengthen, Lord God, and build us up as a community, as a church, Lord I thank you. It's not uh, my word, but it's, it's your word, Lord. Would you breathe on it, Lord God? And would you, make it, would you make just this word turn into revelation to each and every one of us, Lord God? I thank you we have an upgrade, Lord God, today as a community, upgrade for uh, each other as, a, as an individual so we could bear greater fruit. The fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Lord. We thank you, Lord God, that we are going to grow into uh, fruitful, greater fruitfulness, Lord. Pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, cool. Um, I was gonna share a few light things, but uh, I don't think I have time. <laughs> uh, so I just want to welcome everybody and a special welcome to any students that are in the house. That's usually when. <laughs> that's it, that's it. Um, well, anyways, uh, I, I first when I first visited the ark, uh, I was actually a transfer student uh, at Cal about 11 years ago, and I was actually recommended to attend the ARC by a friend back at home in LA, and uh, the funny thing is when I actually try to attend, uh, the advertised location was incorrect, uh, the scheduled time of meeting was also incorrect, and in my mind I was like, does this church even want to be found, and um, I don't remember how, but somehow uh, I made it into the right location, which was a three-story Vic- Victorian Victorian house uh, that was off of Dwight, and when I came in, uh, you know, there's this, it was a house, it was filled with maybe roughly two to three dozen people, and there were folks, like, sitting on the couches and lounging around, and, uh, and there were people, like, sitting on the stairwell. Like, on each step, there was a person. And uh, I actually made my way to the seat, which was on the floor of the foyer, which happened to be right next to Suki, and she uh, welcomed me. Uh, but I, I do want to say, you know, uh, and this is, this is just to empathize for uh, anybody who's a newcomer here, you know, although people were generally welcoming, uh, I more so noticed how close people were. And uh, it's not an uncommon sight to see, like, bros, like, lounging around on the couches with their arms next to each other. And they're, like, even with this, like, with their arms with each other, it's like, hey, what's your name? You know? And so, (laughs) even though, you know, uh, once again, like, people were in their comfortable places and they were, it was a happy place. Sometimes, like, for for an outsider, observing people's closeness can remind us of our distance and wonder how we could get there. Uh, for me personally, I had a history of bouncing from local church to local church, usually encountering some sort of friction with leaders, and uh, I had my own sets of battles against my own sense of isolation and self-worth. Uh, nonetheless, uh, I was involved with Youth With a Mission and Irish Ministries in the past, and uh, these are um, mission organizations, um, if, if that could be said, and I felt compelled to live out the Great Commission no matter what setting I was in. However, my attitude... Uh, during the time was, you know, uh, it's, it's about reaching the lost. It's about the Great Commission, which is fantastic. But regarding the body of Christ and local churches, uh, to me, they were, for better or worse, like a dime a, dime a dozen. And uh, cynicism towards the church was widespread, and, and it's just really easy to buy into. And uh, as a result, I actually began to spend more and more time, you know, trying to live out the Great Commission with non-believers. Uh, and less and less time with, uh, with fellowshipping with believers. Now it wasn't bad that I was fellowshipping like, and reaching out to like non-believers and spending time with them. But because of my disconnect and, you know, without going into details right now, uh, soon I became in the world as well as of it, right? Versus in the world and, and not of it. And, uh, and I, and over time, I realized that my own resolution to live according to my values was not enough. And uh, I don't have to go into details there because there's, in the world, there's nothing new under the sun. So you guys could fill in the blanks, and that's probably true. Um, so even though I was wrestling internally, relationally, and with isolation, uh, somehow when I came to the ark, I was still fed by the sermons. I was still, in, like, I don't know, encountering the Holy Spirit in this space and uh, and worship has just always been fantastic here, like from, from the first day I was here. And um, during one of the sermons, Ryan actually was preaching a message on community and gave me that, an example that really struck me, and it was about his wife, Suki, senior pastor. And he said that, my wife, Suki, is not strong. She's not just strong, but she's strong in the context of community. And that really struck me that time. Uh, it alleviated... Uh, the pressure of living out this extraordinary lifestyle that we're called to to live out as Christians on our own but it, and, and you know it also explained a lot about why I couldn't uh, pull it off myself long story short uh, I stayed at the Ark and gradually fell in love with this community uh, along with uh, the fiery young woman that walked down the aisle uh, meeting, uh, who I ended up marrying and the Ark became my home church for the next 11 years all right. So, speaking about the earlier years of the Ark. <laughs> so, uh, in the earlier, you know, we're, we've always been excited by a sustained revival. We're also really, uh, you know, excited about like this, things such as like the Seven Mountains Mandate. We could talk about that and being influential in the world. Uh, and, you know, early on, we were very excited by possibilities, and we still are. And it was really beautiful. And uh, a lot of us, we needed permission to dream and be in touch with the breadth of, of expression of God's work. Uh, And there's still plenty of room for that now, Uh, but as we began to really engage with this and live those possibilities out, uh, I think I'm more excited by parameters, consolidation, and and joint efforts by our community. And we are in a day and age where less is more in many senses, and even though our permission is wide, uh, you know, there's still a lot of, you know, and there's a lot of uh, opportunities and decisions to make. But the flip side of that is we can be displacing a lot of energy when we aren't focused and chase all the possibilities that we do have. So what I'm excited about is that growth happens, uh, you know, when we can make meaningful headway with just a few things at a time. And so in a result, like uh, our church, thanks to uh, Joe O, oh, uh, you know, we're, we're doing this thing called a sermon series. And, um, and our sermon series is based off of uh, annual priorities. Okay. And every, every year, our church prayerfully identifies three annual priorities to focus on as a community. And this year, uh, they're holy, rooted in Jesus. Actually, can I test? Holy, rooted in Jesus, second, responsible for his bride, and consumed uh, consume with his mission. Great. Uh, so our recently launched sermon series is just a wonderful ideas, idea because it allows us to hone in and just focus on a few things at a time uh, to pursue as a congregation and allows us to choose our battles And we're hoping that this translates into incremental but profound growth for our community in the long haul. So today, we are talking about uh, the annual priority of being holy, rooted in Jesus. And we know that Jesus, which body, wait, I don't know if that should, which, uh, Jesus is the head of the church. (laughs) I was like, which body part is he? All right, Uh, he's the head of, he is the head of the church. And that the church is the body of Christ. And if it's not impossible, okay. It is hard to get connected to the head if you're not connected to the body. So once again, Jesus as the head of the church, the church, the body of the Christ. If not impossible, it is hard to get connected to the head if you're not connected to the body. So our focus today is how do we become wholly rooted in Jesus, but through the avenue of community. And if you guys have spent any time around uh, me, either in, uh, in home group or whatever setting, you know, uh, you guys probably heard this message uh, many times. Uh, but but it's still a good message. Okay. Uh, and, and if you have heard it, I'm encouraging you guys to think about its, the application and uh, how to establish uh, yourself as well as the people around you in this. So, to get some insight into uh, this area of being wholly rooted in Jesus, let's take a look at the Bible for inspiration. Uh, Jesus talks about how to get rooted in him, and he uses this word, meno, that we translate as abide or remain. And abide meaning to remain stable or fixed in a a state or to continue in a place. And in John 15, Jesus talks about how to abide in him and connect with God's love. So actually, let's go ahead and read this together. Okay, three, two, one. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let me grab some water real quick. Uh, oh, thank you. There it is. Actually, we could give you the scripture, we could keep them up there. Um, That should make you smile, uh, just reading that. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy will be in you, and that your joy may be full. And he didn't even, he just, he also said, as a father has loved me, once again, the father ha- loving Jesus, God loving God, <laughs> so have I loved you. And what does that mean? That means to the extent that God has loved God, he has also loved us, right? So once again, that should That should really make us smile. So when you think about abiding in Jesus, okay, uh, and this is a little bit of a refresh, right? What practices come to mind? And if you're asking yourself, if you're living connected to Jesus, once again, what comes to mind? When you think about staying in touch with God's love, how do you go about it? And Jesus says, if we keep his commandments, we will abide in his love. Okay, so stop. When you think about abiding in Jesus, what practices come to mind? Actually, turn it to your neighbors real quick (laughs) and just say what comes to mind real quick. You got 30 seconds. Cool. When you guys are done, give your neighbors a high five. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the next slide. So everybody take a deep breath. Okay. Let it out. Okay. So Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone may lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You know that song, I am a friend of God? No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I have commanded you so that you may love one another. I'm going to say that last part once again. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go bear fruit and your fruit shall abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I have commanded you so that you will love another. It's not really cool. When we love each other and we ask the Father, whatever, (laughs) in Jesus' name, he'll give it to us. That's another sermon. Joe, you could write it. Um. So when we read the entirety of this passage, we learned that being rooted in Jesus, what being rooted in Jesus could look like, and it's, it's abide by following Jesus' commandments. And Jesus says, here's my commandment, to love one another, okay? So in case I lost anyone, um, in summary, okay, if, it's kind of condensed, it looks funny on this slide, but if abiding equals follow Jesus... Jesus' commandments and Jesus' commandment equals love one another. Then through the transitive property, right? Is that the right property? All right. Okay. Love one another equals abiding, right? Amen? Amen. All right. So uh, raise your hand if you got that right, if your neighbors got that right. Oh, come on. All right. One, two, three. Yeah. High five your neighbors if you got it right. Okay. <laughs> and if your neighbors did not get it right. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, <laughs> So, in other words, to connect with God, do your quiet time. I think I'm a big proponent of waiting for the Holy Spirit. Uh, Read the word, cultivate your prayer life, sing worship songs, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as expressed in this passage, where Jesus is talking, (laughs) love one another. So loving one another is essential to connecting with the love of Christ. So, uh, what does loving one another well look like? Okay. Okay. And Jesus, he says that no, no greater love than this, that a friend should lay down his life for his friend, right? So it looks like laying down our lives for one another. But what does that even mean, right? Uh, what does living our lives down for one another look like? Uh, I know we hear the expression, you know, I die for that brother, or I take a bullet for you. Uh, and in this case, uh, actually, Jesus wasn't being dramatic. He was being <laughs> completely figurative and also 100% literal. At the same time, right? <laughs> Paradoxes. <laughs> um, so, so how do we lay down our lives uh, for one another? How do we apply this? Uh, because generally, in our context, at the moment, at the moment, right? Uh, opportunities to die for one another or take a bullet for someone—it's probably not an everyday uh, reality. Maybe, maybe, maybe for some, I don't know. Like maybe a weekly reality, quarterly, annual reality. I know, I know a few of us when we were playing basketball uh, at San Pablo, Pablo Park, uh, there was. Like, I think it was me and Alex at one point, and at nighttime, there was only lights on the, the park, and we hear a bang, 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 bang. Uh, <laughs> and we ran behind the bathroom. We ducked, ran behind the bathroom. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing about this. Uh, <laughs> it's not funny, but, uh, but even if we could... Ta- <laughs> I don't know why I'm sharing this thing. But even if we could take a bullet for another, you know, we're just not fast enough, right? <laughs> so... So, anyways, uh, I don't. So, I, in my head, I'm just playing out scenarios, like how can I orchestrate this so I could lay down my life for my, my brother? Because that's what Jesus calls us to, right? Uh, <laughs> and also, your reflexes are is to duck and get your okay, self out of the way. Okay, so you got you gotta you gotta retrain that. So, to give a clue about what this can look like in an everyday sense, all right, uh, let's take a look at Acts two. Continuing with scripture, we can observe how disciples applied what Jesus said and how their application of Jesus' commandment eventually has its expression. And uh, in Acts 2, we can see the fruit of their obedience in a day-to-day life. And what we are left with is this extraordinary account of community. All right. So, actually, let's, let's read this together, okay? Last, last scripture. Three, two, one. And they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added the numbers day by day, those who were being saved. So, if you're like me, every time I read this passage, I feel very challenged. And uh, you can observe that in the early church community, uh, the, the impossible was taking place pretty much. So, I have a question for you, okay? What's more astonishing as you read this, okay? Is it the signs and wonders and the miracles taking place? In other words, like astonishing things taking place. Is it a, what's more astonishing? Is it the astonishing things that were taking place? Uh, two, droves of people coming to Christ. Three, the radical generosity, or four, is it their commitment to one another? You guys could kind of, kind of guess. Um, it's a rhetorical question, and I'll get back to that later. Um, <laughs> But in the meantime, I want us to observe their practices, and uh, you guys know Saddleback Church, uh, purpose-driven life. Uh, Pastor Rick Warren, right? Is that the, uh, so? He identifies eight practices that he encourages his church to employ, and uh, we could actually uh, observe this. So, number one, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They studied the Bible. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They fellowship with each other. They built relationships. Uh, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. In other words, uh, they, were, they did communion. They ser- Actually, they served communion anytime they wanted to. And one of the reasons they served communion was to promote openness to God and to each other. Um, if you guys are in home groups, you guys might have like accountability time. You know? And so you could think of this as also an appropriate time to serve communion. I always wondered like, why, why you know, uh, communion and eating the body of Christ was uh, connected with fellowship and openness to one another And I read this uh, somewhere that, you know, although we consume Jesus, right, the other moments that we hear about consuming is, what, the enemy. He's also known as the, the devourer, right? And the crazy thing is, we could also devour each other. And if we don't eat Jesus, we end up consuming each other, right? And so... I'm like, oh man, maybe every time they do accountability and do relationship and open relationship with each other, they're like, I'm gonna we eat Jesus first. We know where that that con- consumption, you know, uh, is directed towards. Um, number four, they pray for each other. They helped each other in practical ways, and they gave to anyone uh, who had need. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, and uh, food being a tool for fellowship. I know uh, Beatrice and Byron's home group, you guys, like, cook a meal, like, every week, <laughs> which is crit- pretty amazing. And uh, they worshiped and praised God together. And lastly, they brought unbelievers to Jesus. Uh, actually, uh, another pastor, they were saying just doing the above, like, their home groups, you know, was actually not just a, a place for care, but it's also a—it a, a, was primarily missional, uh, in, in a sense— and you could kind of you could observe that in the Acts of church. So if we stop there and actually look at this framework uh, to pursuing community, I think our community life would be pretty rich, right? Amen. If we just engage in these practices. Um, but I also <laughs> also would like to offer us another angle to describe what loving each other in the context of community would look like. And uh, do you guys remember Hattie Lee? <laughs> you guys better remember Hattie. <laughs> So, But anyway, she was in staff, uh, you know, and she was uh, uh, at the ARC for many years. And before she left, she actually handed me uh, this book. And I'm a really slow reader. I've been reading this book for, like, the past two years, (laughs) you know, three years. But whenever I read a book, like, I just chew it, I meditate it until it becomes, like, a part of my life. Uh, And this book is called uh, Living into Community, Cultivating Practices that Sustain Us by Christine D poll. And she picked this up from uh, the seminary class that she was uh, attending. But Christine observes four practices that enrich and nourish community life. And and I believe that it'll help us uh, deepen our connection to one another. So we can talk about the experience of closeness with each other in a variety of ways, right? Uh, We could use anecdotes, we could use stories, uh, we could employ like psychological terms. uh, But the author, you know, uh, just like Rick Warren, you know, uh, chooses to focus on describing the strength of community based off of its, on practices, you know. uh, And I like that because when we frame things in terms of practices, it gives us a chance to do something about it and makes us all active participants rather than distant intellectuals passively critiquing, evaluating, analyzing uh, this phenomenon that is taking place in front of us, right? So the practices that she identifies, okay, as she studies community and what church community and what really deepens it is, number one, gratitude, promise-keeping, truth-telling, and all this culminates into hospitality. And so I know we've all heard these. uh, I'm sure we all have heard these before, right? But what I really value these days is just uh, consolidation and and have a value for synthesis, right? Because I feel like that makes it helpful for us. She also points out another helpful insight each of these practices are certainly important in their own right, but as you practice each, you'll soon run into walls, right? And you'll realize that you can't move further in one area of practice without simultaneously elevating the others, right? So, for instance, if you read the, you know, the Acts 2 church, it's like, wow, these guys are radically generous and radically hospitable to, to uh, one, of the, one another, Right? But any practitioner of hospitality knows how difficult it can be, even though it's worth it, right? So imagine just selling all of your possession and using the proceeds to take care of the people around you. That's crazy. It's a crazy commitment, right? And someone once said that uh, something to the extent that hospitality is hard. Hospitality is really hard. And in order to do hospitality, it requires community. But community is even harder, <laughs> And you cannot have community without keeping promises, okay? Well, actually, I'm going to stop right there real quick. Uh, I was also talking to another pa- pastor, and you were talking about, like, church is just a bottomless pit of need. <laughs> right? So community is hard. It's, uh, you know, we get offended when we think it's easy. But it's worthwhile work, but it's hard work. It's tough work, right? And we, uh, we need to recognize that uh, soberly. You can't have community without keeping promises, right? Imagine how difficult that would be, right? Uh, and if we want to make and keep promises, imagine doing it without truthfulness, right? Imagine if the people that you're working with aren't honest uh, or yourself, right? And furthermore, it's hard to be in community and sustain any of this if there's no gratitude, amen? Um, so once again, uh, each of these are connected to one another. You'll Hit a road bump, and and you you could stop and evaluate. Okay, is there another area that needs to be elevated? And I think that's where the value of this comes from. You know, because we've always we always hear about gratitude and all these practices, uh, but I like how uh, how this is synthesized. So her book goes into each of these practices and discusses the complications of each, what strengthens and weakens each practice, and obviously there's a lot that could be discussed uh, in these categories. And uh, they do have like broad definitions, but today uh, I just want to touch on them and, uh, and maybe employ some of the author's descriptions and uh, provide examples of what she, each of these could look like. so hospitality is a culmination, but i 'm going to culminate into uh, the rhema word right, for our, our church uh, and i'm going to start uh, uh, i 'm going to start with hospitality they 're not um, necessarily ordered in importance or anything like that so uh, hospitality. Welcome is one of the signs that a community is alive. To invite others to live with us is a sign that we aren't afraid, that we have a treasure of truth and a peace to share. Amen? Did you know that uh, in many ancient traditions, uh, I've learned this in uh, this book called uh, Making Room, hospitality is widely considered uh, the bedrock of all morality? Yeah, it's kind of crazy, right? Uh, but anyways. Uh, hospitality can be described as living out God's welcome to us. Okay, so how are you practicing hospitality? I know it's sometimes tempting to only think about how others aren't extending themselves to us, but every one of us have been chosen by Christ before we chose Christ and have a measure of that to extend. You know, when we're kids, like, we make friends by, like, other friends choosing us sometimes? Uh, Christ is that person for all of us right? We get to, uh, and we get to extend that back. So if we don't practice hospitality, we are missing out on a chance to be most reflective of who God is and fully responsive to what God has done for us. And when we practice hospitality, we are embodying the gospel, right? So it's hard because it requires all of us, like every part of us, right? Um, It's a way of life, and it's it's also integral to our discipleship. So I, I think about laying our lives down, right, and uh, like there's dying for one another and also kind of, in a sense, living for another, organizing your life for the benefit of others. So when you extend your resources, your time, your relational energy to benefit others when you really don't have to, that falls under the practice of hospitality. Uh, I'm not going to go into details here, but we could be creative, and I think our actually our house is very creative (laughs) about how we extend this in fact our home group uh because of the hospitality of other individuals i think we got like two cars like literally cars vehicles you know right and angela got a free prius you know (laughs) thank you richard (laughs) uh and uh and brian also got a car too not not to say that's like hey dude the arc. if i stick along (laughs) i'm gonna get a new vehicle Uh, but it's a testament of the radical hospitality that, and the generosity that, you know, that's very real here, right? So, my encouragement, okay, uh, really quickly, is for us to live a lifestyle of celebration with the folks you know, and find ways to bring others in, just like the early church. They had this awesome party, and God just kept adding to their party. They had favor with everybody, right? That's what it said. So, turn your company of cronies, your Christian buddies, your home group, into an engine of blessing. That sounds like a slogan, yeah. So I'm going to say that. So turn your cronies, company of cronies, your Christian buddies, your home group, into an engine of blessing. And I love the Foster the Bay uh, initiative, the Fight for Five initiative. Uh, There's just a lot of cool ways uh, for us to uh, live that out. Okay, gratitude. Um, Gratitude. To become Christian means to become grateful. Amen? So, um... Really quickly, there's this quote that I read. It says, communities wither if there is not gratitude. Gratitude towards God and one another. Where there is grumbling and chronic dissatisfaction, communities become unbearable. Okay? So the grateful person receives... The cool thing about gratitude is the grateful person receives from an interaction, uh, more from an interaction than others that are less grateful in that same interaction, right I'll say that again. the grateful person receives more from an interaction more than others that are less grateful in that same interaction. It's just not fair <laughs> right, And on the other hand, with entitlement, you know you miss out on potentially transformative moments uh, They become trivialized, right. The goodness of God that's before you, you miss out on it right, even though it's before you and I, I have a lot of one on ones with people. And time and time again, because of people's definitions, uh, and we could talk about that. You know, um, people miss out on the goodness that's right before them, right? Um, "Quote unquote" from the book: "The person who has a claim to everything is grateful for nothing." Right. So, um, once again, we're not talking about like human rights. Uh, that's a whole separate issue, right? Uh, but I won't go into detail with that. Um, so some real practical things uh, really quickly Uh, number one is for us to think think testimony Uh, personal testimony is powerful because you allow God to rewrite your narrative in such a way that puts your life in touch with God's goodness and his goodness deposited in others and so think about how your life right now is a result of God's goodness and the goodness of God unfolding Right? and the more you think in those terms you know, I think the more grateful you, you'll be. And the more truth, like, the, the more it um, aligns with your, ex, your experience of that. Something I learned from meaning, okay, here's another thing, uh, especially for our community. If you appreciate someone, uh, don't assume they know, okay? It's, it's, it's always a good time to express it. That never gets old. <laughs> Amen? Um, next one is celebrate and play. Uh, I remember talking to a newcomer, like, three years ago. He, he said, man, when, when I come to the ark, all we do is spiritual activities, <laughs> uh, which is not bad, which is not bad. So uh, I remember Chad, like he did like board game nights, which seems not very like what you would typically ascribe as like spiritual, right? Uh, but what he's doing is in- encouraging people to celebrate the company of each other, and that's it. And I think that's wonderful. So I love it when uh, you guys are playing baseball and uh, even some of you guys are playing uh, uh, cooked. cooked. But anyways, the way you guys are playing it is connecting with each other and celebrative, right? And lastly, the rhema word for our house uh, for the season is observing the Sabbath, right? And that follows under the practice of gratitude, uh, resting and reflecting on God's goodness of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Okay, cool. Uh, Next one. And sorry, we got two two more, I promise, and then we're gonna end. Uh, It's truth telling. Now, living gratefully doesn't necessarily mean mean we live in denial and passively accept whatever comes our way. And actually, living in gratefulness is also living in truth, you know, as well, because you actually recognize, you know, uh, what, what Christ has done for us. Truthfulness is essential, and our community is nourished when we tell the truth to one another and live truthfully towards one another. So living transparently, confessing to one another in connect- accountability groups or to your home group leaders, that's living in truth. Being honest about your vulnerabilities as well as what our needs are uh, to the people positioned around us, that's living in truth. Uh, a lot of my one-on-ones, like, there's a lot of people that come up to me and say, like, my needs are not being met. My needs are not being met. You know, that's about, like, maybe 80%, right? Which is, which is fine. And... Uh, <laughs> A lot of times I just ask them, like, what are you doing to convey your needs? Have you asked, like, the people around you? And most of the times people say they, they haven't, right? Uh, it's a scary thing to convey your needs because people have let us down, like, in the past. And you remember the Danny Silk, keep, uh, keep your love on. Yeah. Keep your, <laughs> keep your love on. Um, it has that cycle of trust, conveying your needs, needs being met, which fuels trust, which fuels your ability. So, anyways... Um, truth-telling is essential, right? Also, giving space for others to speak truthfully into your life is really important, right? Um, now, one thing about truthfulness I want to say is, uh, you know, especially in the form of, like, sharing your needs, it's, it's not easy, right? And I especially know how difficult it could be uh, because even in the best-case scenario, right, when you... when this is somebody you love, you, in fact, you admire you share values with, Maybe perhaps somebody you were married to, <laughs> right? It still can be tricky. So early on in our marriage, we, uh, we used to uh, schedule a date night. Well, we, used to, we still schedule date night every Fridays, uh, and it's a time for us to celebrate with one another and, our, and build our loving connection. It's just intentional time for that. Um, but we hit this block where every time we're about to go to a nice dinner and we're just talking with each other and stuff like that, Something frictive comes up. (laughs) And we're sharing our needs with another. And then, like, I remember just being in this nice Thai restaurant. And we're, you know, it's, uh, I don't know if we got a reservation or something. We're dressed nicely. We're sitting in the car. We had a heated conversation. We sit in the restaurant. We're spending more money than we could, like, well, we could afford it. But it's, like, you know, it's still an investment. And for me, I like to, like, savor my food. Right. And in my head, I'm like, we're just coming off of this fuming argument. It takes like 45 minutes for your adrenaline or, you know, to decrease. And I'm like, I can't enjoy this food, you know, and I have to. And it further uh, kind of reinforced like my inability to just enjoy that moment. But anyways, uh, uh, we were also, you know, talking to Suki and she gave us a wise, wise uh, uh, counsel to us. And she said, you know what, you guys need to have two date nights. One to work out your, you know, issues and truth-telling, and the other to celebrate, right? Which is good, so we don't have to do all those <laughs> uh, together. Uh, so, because it's essential, right? You need that space. So sometimes, uh, you know, once again, even now, like, we go through, like, multiple reiteration, right? Like, of an argument, a conversation, a confrontation, what have you, Right? And, you know, for me, like, once again, like, you know how difficult it is for your mind to interpret what's your heart, what's going on with your heart, then translate that into a word, like, you know, in, into something that you could convey to the other person, and then have them receive it in their minds and translate that to their heart, and then do all that back to you. It's like a miracle, like, it's it's a miracle, right? Which is crazy, because, you know, when, and I'll talk about that another time. Um, but... Anyways, that gave me a sense of how much work goes into into that, right? And 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 even people that uh, that are less close to us, right? But still close to us, right? So um, now I, we we usually get to the bottom of things, and we usually leave like more freed. Uh, we usually leave encouraged. We usually usually leave with a better understanding of each other and our relationship just skyrockets every time one of those moments uh, happen. And, and that trust is, like, reinforced, right? And um, anyways, um, the reason why, you know, something like this is possible is because at the end of the day, we know that even though when our fears and our uglies come out to the surface, we know that we're committed to one another, right? And uh, I know Ryan and Suki talk about this a lot, and I feel like it's still pertinent for us. And therefore, we have promise-keeping and promise-making. So this is the rhema word, the now word, right, For uh, that I want to, want to bring for us. How do we become bold in the things that matter? We ask this a lot in uh, the Impact Makers class, right? In order to be bold, right, in the things that matter, we need to feel safe in the areas that matter. And so how do we foster safety and certainty in our, in our lives? And this is where promise-keeping and promise-making Making comes in, and once again, promise making and promise keeping also forms identity. Uh, but I think this is what we need to know right now. Uh, really quickly, uh, this is this is fascinating. Uh, I saw this little diagram, right, the Maslow hierarchy uh, of needs, and uh, you got the bottom physiological, then safety, which builds into safety, love, belonging, esteem, and I think what looks like a like a meditating <laughs> like icon, who's pulling self-actualization, right? Dismiss that, uh, but. <laughs> you know we don't really care about the whole self actualization but we could care we could think about that as like the destiny piece right actually uh, i think that's the place where like for instance you know when jesus said if you love each other okay and cover one another you know as i have loved you then ask your father right whatever you wish in my name and it will be done. And I kind of feel like that triangle, that tip triangle is what it is because we can cover the bottom part, right? If, if it's destiny. Uh, but by covering each other, right, we release each other to become the most fruitful version of ourselves, right? And uh, I've always wondered what it means to, you know, uh, abide in Jesus and, you know, ask what we wish and it be granted for us. And once again, I think, you know if we so for instance, like our physiological needs right it's like imagine because a lot of us are concerned about i don't know all these I would say right, probably, but imagine if like you know in a relationship, you know that you're committed to forgiving one another you're you're committed to um believing in the best in you, like that frees up so much reserve for you, you know to do other things, right. So your esteem is like that tank, you know, could be constantly full. You never have to doubt that, right? So um, this is kind of disjointed here, uh, but I thought that was a cool idea to, sh- to share and to kind of give you guys uh, some, I don't know, some light bulbs. Um, so ultimately, though, uh, you know, uh, love does come down to a decision, okay? And uh, coming back to promise-making uh, it's not always an emotional experience or infatuation, although it can. Uh, it's not always marked by intense emotions either, although it can, right? Uh, somebody called it, uh, in, the, in the book, there was a person who was reflecting and he said that like when he's thinking about community, he's chronically dissatisfied and he realized he was living under this illusion of what community could look like, which was actually spiritual pornography. He calls it spiritual pornography, right? And uh, there's this elated state that we always assume that, and not to say that we can't have those time to time, uh, uh, but anyways, I thought that was helpful. Ultimately, love comes down to a decision. And here's a point I kinda wanna begin to bring home. When we make promises, it costs us something. And in our culture, you know, especially this time and age, we are a culture that prizes individual freedom and spontaneity and when we, we we make promises to one another we actually relinquish some of that okay and we intentionally re- restrict ourselves but in return we obtain what we truly value so once again we we value individual freedom we value spontane, spontaneity in fact that like i know uh, I, I talk to a lot of people it's like yeah i know like i'm hanging out with my home group but it's not organic it's not organic I think your home group leaders and the people that are involved are responding to Christ. That's organic. We happen to kind of put themselves in a structure to get to know you, even though you guys are faceless, right? For instance, not you, uh, us, okay. Um, you know, so that's an that's organic posturing in a relationship, and I think it's really worthwhile for us to receive that. So once again, even in home groups, for instance, you're relinquishing your Wednesday nights, but, and you're intentionally restricting yourself but in return, I think we're building something that we uh, truly value. Uh, Pastor Benjamin once gave us a diagram. I don't know if you guys remember this, but he says every creature is living under this um, the spectrum, okay? They have one thing in common. They're trying to avoid pain and pursue what? Pleasure, right? They're trying to avoid pain and pursue pleasure. But as moral beings, humans, right, we have another line in that graph that runs vertically, Right? And this spectrum represents what? You guys remember? Bad and good, right? Bad and good. And he, during the X team meeting, he said something that was really insightful that I felt was really well connected to this. He said, parallel to that spectrum of good and bad is actually in the bottom, anxiety, and in the top, empathy. Which means that to the degree that you're living in anxiety, the more likelihood you're living in and bad, right? And the more ability, like, the more you're able to live in empathy, the more likely you're posturing yourself to live good and righteously, right? And so, once again, um, we experience anxiety, okay? Why do we experience anxiety? And a lot of it is because of uncertainty, okay? We're not sure about the future. We're not sure about the people around us. We're just uncertain, right? That creates fear. Here's what the power of promise-making comes. When you make promises to one another, okay, we actually create islands of predictability, okay? So we're, it's, a, it's a headstrong blast against uncertainty, right? So something as simple, once again, as meeting in home groups during Wednesday is a powerful act of faith and, and testament of God's steadfast love, steadfast love, steadfast love, and we meet Wednesday, 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 and that becomes a powerful island of certainty in our life, right? So God is a God of promises expressed in his steadfast love, and so in reflection of God, God's promises, we are also people of promise. Amen? All right. You guys made it. We're (laughs) going to conclude. So uh, to just kind of tie it all up, these practices are beautiful, and they are ordinary as well. But therefore, you know, uh, they do go unnoticed, right, unless we name it. And if we could celebrate something, it could repeat, right? When we celebrate, it could be repeated, right? So in summary, I want to emphasize a critical avenue for connecting with Christ, and that should, be, uh, that should not be careful, be, that we should be careful not to undermine, and that is to be wholly rooted in Christ by being rooted, rooted in community and loving one another as Christ has loved us. Uh, We might not have immediate opportunities to lay our lives down for one another in a literal fashion, but loving each other well and receiving love from each other does not always have to look dramatic or feel intense all the time. Uh, I have full confidence that if we continue to strengthen our practice in gratitude, promise-making, truth-telling, and hospitality, we will bear the fruit that Christ intends for us to bear. And with that, okay, whatever we ask the Father in Jesus' name, and I'm thinking about signs and wonders, y'all. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. He will grant us whatever we ask. Amen. Can I have the worship team come up? All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So I've personally been... Uh, in a season where I feel like my relationships have get, been getting better and better, uh, I, fe- I, was, I, re- I remember just sharing in uh, uh, our, uh, our staff space, and we do like a Monday check-in. I was like, man, I feel like I'm the happiest man on, on earth. Uh, and my circumstances haven't changed necessarily, okay? The relationships around me haven't uh, changed. The people are, I mean, uh, but, but for me, I felt like I was changing, you know? And, uh, and, and that was really exciting. And actually, in the beginning of the year, like, we're, like, thinking, okay, you know, how, like, what do we need to, for this year to be great? Cause, cause, and uh, the word that we got was to preserve our joy and preserve our peace. If we could just do those two things, we have a winning year. And uh, I felt like the Lord was talking about the virtue of simplicity. You guys could go ahead and uh, rock out. <laughs> So, um, and it's wonderful because, once again, like, we could participate in that, right? Like, that's something that's within our control, right? And I think that's, that's wonderful. And God makes us powerful people. And I think with these practices, it gives us means to uh, enc- encounter God, whatever circumstances we are in. So, really quickly, this is <laughs> the last rhema thing, okay? Uh, if we could put up the last slide, and this is our response time. We could turn off the lights, <laughs> light some candles. All right. So um, Ining and I, we went to uh, Mexico City. Uh, was that this year? <laughs> that was this year. And uh, we went to this uh, this this museum called the Museum of Anthropology and. After entering in the back, you see this remarkable structure, right? And uh, it's crazy because it's exactly what you see. It's connected to nothing except for that pillar right in the middle, right? Uh, And you see that platform. It's huge. If our community is that platform, right, uh, who do you think is that pillar that's holding us up? Oh, yeah, I said Jesus. Okay, that's good. Because uh, if, if you say it's our pastors, okay, if you say it's our pastors, what do we call that? We call that a juggling act. <laughs> okay, all right, that's a, that's a juggling act, all right? Uh, but, but once again, our community is not, you know, we're balanced on Jesus, yes, uh, but I have a vision where we have several pillars raising up that platform just all around to the point where it's like this giant cube. Uh, rectangular prism. Amen? Mm. So, the wellness of this congregation is dependent on multiple promises being kept, right? Um, last thing, I've been facilitating our church membership process for the past few years. And it's a beautiful thing that we get to give people an avenue to be in touch with their commitment. Um, and uh, I realized Something. Like those, we only get to do that once, right? But we need to renew our commitment day by day, right? And so I want to give us another moment to express uh, our commitment to the congregation, uh, to God, and to one another. And um, I know that commitment could look like a lot of different things for us. Uh, And I, it may or may not have a direct action associated with an immediate, but I think what we're trying to express here is like a posture heart. So, if you guys can close your eyes, go ahead and close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you want to renew your commitment to community, okay, and to one another, ultimately to Jesus, right? Uh, he will fill you with the grace to act upon your will. And if you want to upgrade your commitment and renew your commitment, or even if it's already uh, something you know where you stand, you know, uh, I know that I'm committed to the brothers and sisters in this house. Uh, I'm going to give us a chance if you guys can. Uh, I'm going to just have you stand. Uh, and, that's, and your standing is, I'm committed to this house. I'm committed to the brothers and sisters that are here. I'm here to shoulder this uh, congregation. Because without you, you know, the Lord gives his gifts and his grace to each member of the body so they could all come together to edify, build up the body of Christ for its unification and without you, we're missing out. Okay, the next act, <laughs> um, you know, just like you see the pillars that are represented uh, there, you know, um, we're going to lift up our arms as if we're shouldering a platform, okay? So go ahead. I know it's kind of be odd, but uh, I'm just thinking about the image where Moses, where Israel was, or the, the Hebrew uh, people were at war. And it said that as long as Moses' hand was raised up, okay, they were winning, okay? But obviously his arms couldn't keep raised being raised up. So Aaron and her came on side of each arm, okay, each arm, each hand, and and lift up Moses' hands. They, they took a rock, allowed him to sit on it, and they just raised it. And as long as that those arms were raised, the Lord, the living God, Was turning the tides of battle. He was turning the tides of battle. He was turning the tides of battle. And I believe that today he's turning the tides of battle. Actually, he's been doing it already. (laughs) We can feel in our worship, he's here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, thank you, Jesus, uh, for your word today, Lord God. We bless uh, what you're doing in this house. You guys could put your hands down unless you want to uh, keep it, you know. Uh, God, we thank you, Lord God, for the commitments that are made here, Lord. Even though uh, it's, it's to you, Lord God, it's also to one another. And Lord, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we don't have to be afraid of it because you, Lord God, the Holy Spirit will fuel and empower those decisions, Lord God. Even as we look into uncertainty of the future, Lord God, uncertainty of uh, just uh, humanity itself, Lord God, we know that your love is steadfast, Lord. Your steadfast love endures. Your steadfast Lord love endures. So yeah, Lord, we just worship you. We bless you in Jesus' name, amen.